Hello, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Sean Glebe, your host, and with me today, co-host, we got Christian Wenz. Hi, everyone. Um, as you notice, uh, I'm uh, I'm remote uh, today uh, with uh, Kandasaki Wi-Fi, but I'll do my best. Uh, happy to have you on the show. Mm. And we got Adam from Romonic. Hey, Fox. Uh, nice to meet you again. Glad I'm here. <laughs> and we've got Mark. Mark Miller, he's doing double duty today. He's huh. going to be your host and your guest. I'm going to be asking myself my own questions. <laughs> They're going to be hard hitting. Maybe we should reverse that so you are asking questions and we are giving you answers. Now, I'm going to hard hit everybody. I'm going to. Nobody's coming out of this podcast alive. Uh oh. I'll let my wife know. <laughs> Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood. I've been talking to a whole bunch of people that want to update their resume and find a better job. And I figure, well, why not just share my resume? So you, if you go to topendevs.com slash resume, enter your name and email address, then you'll get a copy of the resume that I use, that I've used through freelancing, through my, most of my career, as I've kind of refined it and tweaked it to get me the jobs that I want. Uh, like I said, topendevs.com slash resume will get you that. And uh, you can just kind of use the formatting. It comes in Word and Pages formats, and you can just fill it in from there. So, Mark, what have you been up to lately? What do you want to talk about? Well, uh, Sean, I've been working on uh, voice-to-code inside Visual Studio. And uh, I've been super excited by the last, I don't know, I want to say about six months of development, and especially actually in the last, like, uh, three to four weeks of development. Um, for about five months of it, I've had the feeling there's something here. And in the last three weeks, a number of uh, elements of the design uh, kind of converged and got to a point where I was like, oh, I got something I can release. I've got a, I've got a feature that stands on its own. It's a compelling enough that I think people will, uh, will take a look Consider it as an alternative for to typing in code, um, and uh, and I wanted to talk about it. I wanted to talk about the process uh, of development a little bit. I think, uh, and I wanted to uh, to to talk about to try at least give you a a sense of what it is as best you can over audio, an audio medium, um, and um, and that's that's kind of it. Yeah. So basically, the 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 idea is voice to code. And from there, I, I open myself up to your questions. So this is, I mean, you've been covering this on your Twitch stream. So that's what you've been working on for quite some time. So I've kind of got a little bit of taste of it. But this is more than just voice recognition, right? Yeah, it's actually way more than voice recognition. It is voice recognition plus uh, an engine that works with IntelliSense to find the best path to the code from what you've said. Um, there's also, in some cases, a little bit of open AI involved, but uh, in general, it's the, the hit out to open API is rare, and that really is happening not in the voice-to-code, but in other places, uh, in other features like voice commands uh, to infer intent, uh, for example. Uh, we'll go and make a, we'll make a call to open AI if we can't figure it out with the engine. Um, the, the advantages of essentially not going, not trying to integrate OpenAI into this and instead just kind of creating an engine that finds the best path between what you've said, the ambiguity of what a spoken 
code might sound or look like, might sound like, um, uh, the advantage is that uh, it's much faster experience. Uh, it's like it's like an instantaneous um, uh, experience almost. And I have, and I'll tell you, I've started my, I've been looking at voice as an alternative input mechanism for over 20 years. I've been looking at it, right, studying it. And every time I've come back and said, no way, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way. It's too inaccurate. Um, it makes too many mistakes. Once it makes a mistake, correcting it is painful, right? You, it requires too much precision, right? All of those were great reasons to, to look to other means of alternative ways of getting productivity. Um, and that changed about a year ago with uh, ChatGPT release when I realized, oh, ChatGPT removes the need to, uh, for precision, Right? I don't have to say something precisely if I want to, for example, invoke a command. Like uh, if I had a command that was bound to the words build solution, and I said, I'd like to compile all the files in my projects. I didn't use the word build or solution, but I can still make it enact that build across the entire solution uh, using OpenAI. So OpenAI comes along and takes away the requirement to be precise, um, and so that was one of the one of the pieces that that came along that that helped out. The second piece that changed my perspective was that uh, Azure's uh, speech recognition services uh, are fast and accurate, and that surprised me. Their accuracy surprised me. I, in my experience. It's easily like over 95% accurate with what, with what I say. And the speed is, is essentially instantaneous. Because as soon as I start talking, my voice is going up to Azure. And as soon as I stop, it's already heard a lot of what I said. And so it's just putting the final touches on that, uh, uh, on the voice to text, and then it comes back. And so about a year ago, uh, or six months to a year ago, these things kind of fell into place that made me uh, reconsider voice. And then the the piece that really kind of magically, well, I guess the first piece, I talked about this, I think, on, um, on a previous show when we talked about kind of what was in development. We were talking about voice commands. And I was talking about the compelling, the, at that time, the killer voice command was open and then the name of the file. An open file uh, was using uh, essentially a uh, our our own uh, kind of I don't know if you want to call it a fuzzy match or best match kind of algorithm, so that I could say a string of words and it could find the best file that matched and effectively instantaneously open it up. And when I say instantaneously, sub two hundred milliseconds from the time I stop talking to the time the file is open, um, and uh, and. And it, in general, that's right all the time, and it doesn't matter how big my solution is. That's where it gets really compelling, right? If my solution is 15,000 files, it still opens it just as quickly as if it were just a few files. So it's the fastest way to open a file. So that we, you know, I made that breakthrough and talked about that. Um, but similarly, well, after we made that breakthrough, I was like, I wonder, you know, let's talk about, you know, I wasn't going to release 
voice dictation yet, but let's explore it. And I started exploring it for strings and for comments. And uh, within, you know, a few lines of code, I get those working and I'm like, okay, that's really interesting. And already for comments, it's great because sometimes I'll do a to-do comment and I want to I get an idea out real quickly and get back to the code. And so I, 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 I've got CodeRush. This is all part of CodeRush inside Visual Studio. So I hit slash T and it generates the to-do colon. And then I hold down the control key and I just start talking. And the control key, I haven't mentioned this till now, but the control key is like your microphone on button. So if you hold the control key and you start talking, it starts listening. So I get, I get voice to comments and voice to strings. And then I'm like, well, what's the thing I do in strings all the time? Right? In interpolated strings, I'm holding down the shift key. I'm hitting the open brace. I'm then referencing some code because I want to put it in my string. I want to put that value in that C-sharp string. So I'm like, all right, what if I held the alt key down when I said the code? Like, okay, cool. So I'm like, let's get the, the variables in scope. Let's see what those are and see if we can get a match to them the same way we're matching to the two 15,000 files, right? So we can very quickly find that with the closest match to what you say. And I get it. And I'm like, okay, this isn't bad. Now, what if I wanted to say like a.b.c.d? Right? And that then begins the exploration of integrating IntelliSense into, into the whole picture. And, uh, and we get to a point where we're like kind of what I would call borderline really beautiful um, in terms of functionality. Uh, this, there, in the past, I've, I've, I've written what I would call like a, uh, I've created what I call breakthrough features that I was really excited about the first couple times I used them. And then I kind of got, I settled down and I got okay with it. Um, the, with, in this case, with this feature, I generally get excited still every time it gets it right. Right. I'm like, I say it and it gets what I want. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Right. And, uh, and that I've never done before. I've never, never had that experience where I am like essentially saying out loud, yes, right? Or look at that right there, right? I do it during the show. I'll stop. You know, the feature is so productive. I get to spend like five minutes talking about pointing at the feature and looking at that and saying, wow, look at what it just did. So I guess in some ways it's so productive. I'm actually slowing down because I'm talking about how great it is, how excited I am by it. But, um, but it's cool. Right, it's cool. I guess we'll we'll start by saying that, and I and I don't want to just just keep talking, but that's kind of where we are. We're at this exciting point, and and I think the last maybe the last thing I'll say. I said I was going to stop talking. The last thing I'll say is it's the shortest imaginable path, imaginable path between voice and code. So if you're sitting here thinking, wait, code is hard. Code has got open parens and brackets and all kinds of things that are messy all over the place. How am I going to say those? And in general, the answer is you, you don't really have to say those things. You don't. You don't even have to say dot, right? You can say A, B, C, D. And if there's an A dot B dot C dot D, it'll find it. And if there's an A, B dot C, D, it'll find it. 
And if there's an ABC.D, it'll find it. Right? So it's it is the shortest path. Now you can say dot if you want to disambiguate, if you've got some kind of you know interesting namespace situations out there. So just to give me some some clarity because I feel like I'm at a loss. So if I were to implement like a hello world application, right? So that would be some using some public class, public static main, blah blah blah, console right line. What do I need to say to get the source code? And will it actually work? Or maybe I'm missing something. No, it is not. So, yeah, that's a great question, Adam. The, the, the first release of this is, for, is, essentially, is essentially focusing on the ability to create uh, expressions, simple expressions. So anything that you would assign on, on the right side of an equal sign, for example, or pass in, as a parameter, um, that sort of thing, including parameters to, say, for example, uh, an attribute. So if I wanted to, for example, like on a, on a test case, create a category attribute, I would first hit the uh, open brackets. And that open bracket enables IntelliSense to see all the attributes. I'd need to do it anyway if I was going to type in an attribute. And then I say, for example, category. Uh, and maybe that's all I'll do. And it'll find category attribute out there. It'll see that category attribute has a parameter. And so it'll give me the open paren, close paren, and put the caret right in between. So all I have to do is, is, again, is hit the open bracket, hold down the control key, say category, and release. And it's typed in category, put the caret right between the two. It's a simple example like that. So it seems like it's much more closer to those uh, code templates that you have in Visual Studio or whatever you, you call them, that I can just type like four, tap, 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 and bang, I have this big piece of code. But instead of typing, I just say. Yeah, it's, it's like that. And again, I'm, I'm focusing on expressions and also naming variables, naming things like that too, Right. So if you hit F2 to rename, if you've got that key bound to your rename inside Visual Studio, you can now hold down the control key, say the name that you want it to be, and you'll get uh, a camel case or a Pascal case identifier based on what the current one was of what you just said. So you don't have to hold down the shift key and type it in. You just don't have to do anything. It's just there. That's another example of it. It has a general awareness of whether you're, whether you're likely to be wanting a new identifier name or you're trying to reference an existing type or you're going to create your own type. Um, it has a sense of context. That's not bad for a 1.0. It's not what I would call exhaustive and perfect, but it's really not bad for 1.0 release. Um, it can also do really intelligent things in terms of figuring out the path. It doesn't just approach one, one solution. It actually creates a tree of solutions. And in my debugging uh, um, experiences with it, I've seen that uh, where it's created over 100 different paths to try to figure out what's the best path. And, um, and I'll give you like a, a, a simple example. Um, let's say, for example, I have a list of points, right? A list of two-dimensional points. And that variable name is called list of points. If I want to find the, the one that's furthest left in there, I can say, like I can type in my return and now I'm ready to do my expression. 
I can now say list of points order by X first or default, like that. That's all I say. So it sees, it finds list of points, it see, finds order by, it finds the X property on the point, right? And it generates the lambda expression for you. Then it hears, sees first or default. Well, first or default doesn't exist on X. So it backs up and looks at the order by and sees that it does have first or default there. And it generates that. So all your parens, all the lambda symbols, everything you need, all the syntax, semicolon. Well, the semicolon was already there when I in, in, in my version. It doesn't have the semicolon yet on the end of the line if it's not there. But everything uh, in the middle for the expression is generated. So question here, because now we have some concrete examples, so I'd like to grill you just a bit. Grill. How does it know you said order by X? How does yes. it know that this X should go into the Lambda and isn't part of like the function name? Like there was a function order by X. Oh, well, it, it actually knows about both of those possibilities. If there's a function that's order by X, it finds that too. What it does is it tries to, it, it's trying to find, uh, it's assigning a score to each of these different paths. And the, the more words of, from what you say that it uses, the higher the score. The more things make sense, the higher the score as well. So you might, for example, say the names of three different variables without any operator between them. That doesn't really make sense. So I might say A, B, C if I had three different variables. That doesn't make sense. So that would get a lower score than if I found if A had a property called B and B, that whatever class that was, had a property named C, and then would do A dot B dot C, and that would win over listing three separate variables. Does that make gotcha. sense? Gotcha. Yeah. So it's like a greedy, greedy matching, basically, and we want to capture as many things as possible, and this gets the highest score. Yeah, it's super interesting. In fact, even this journey of right trying to create this architecture in the background was filled with um, interesting things, challenges I've never had before as a .NET developer, and kind of creative solutions to them, right? One of the interesting challenges that didn't really have a creative solution was just this idea as I'm going through this tree, I'm having leaves on the tree that are actually being modified later on, and I'm realizing, oh, you know what? Immutability would be really good for debugging, right? And so I was like, okay, let's start cloning and, and branching these, these pieces off of here and not ever mutate. If I ever get to a point where I want to mutate, I instead, you know, clone and, and keep going, or I prune the branch off. Maybe maybe the old one doesn't, I'm not needed anymore. Um, the other thing I did is I created uh, like a two-dimensional, kind of a two-dimensional tree-like visual representation in the form of a string that's used only for debugging. That basically says, hey, where am I? What branch am I in? Right? The other thing that, because it's also a recursive set of calls to evaluate, I it was it, it became important to uniquely identify each branch so that if I'm inside a method at a breakpoint and I come in a second time and I'm in the method again, I can very quickly visually check the number, the ID of the branch that's passed in as a parameter to see, am I in the same one I was just in? Oh, no, I'm on a different branch. I'm on branch 104. Let's wait. Let's set a conditional breakpoint until I get back to branch four inside of this flow. So, so those kinds of things were interesting, interesting challenges in kind of getting here. 
were you figuring that all on your own or maybe the white papers talking about this thing? Uh, it's pretty much all on my own. There is, so here's what happens, right? We get, and this is the other thing that's actually really exciting, right? When we start, when you start talking, sometimes the IntelliSense that we need is not even available. For example, if I'm in a comment or a string, there's no IntelliSense, right? But when I'm there, I should be able to reference, but I don't want to make you type in a curly brace just so that we can get IntelliSense, right? So what happens is as the engine is evaluating, it's going in and checking with IntelliSense along the way. And it is sometimes even sending speculative code out and asking, what does this give me? For, for example, in the list of points ordered by X, first or default. When I get to the point where I'm saying first or default and I don't find it on X, I go backwards and I start looking at, well, what's X contained in? It's essentially an argument to order by. What's the type of order by? Okay, well, in order to get that, I got to go all the way back to list of points. I got to get it and I got to write some speculative code that says list of points dot order by and then Lambda expression grabbing the X. And I go out and I get its type. Then I go grab its members and I check to see what is first or default in there. And it is. And I say, great, got a match. And we keep going. Um, another example, if I said date time UTC now minus a variable called time, for example, time, total days. Total days does not exist on date time, but it does exist on the binary expression. So what does it do? It first starts the first part and it says, nope, I don't, I'm, I don't see total days on there. Let's go back. Wait, wait a second. I've got a binary expression. Let's try putting it in parens or, or let's, let's evaluate it and see if I find total days. And if I do, now let's put it in parens. So what's exciting about it is it only puts parens on there if needed. And you never have to say open paren or close paren or anything like that to get the code you need. Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood. I'm excited because I wanted to let you know about this thing that I pulled together that I had just, I've been dying to have this for years and I never felt like I could. And then I just realized that there's no reason why I can't. So um, I'm putting together a book club and we're going to read development focused books, career books, you know, uh, technical books, whatever. The first book that we're going to do is going to be Clean Architecture by Uncle Bob Martin. If you're not familiar with Clean Code or some of the other stuff that Bob has done, check that out. I've also talked to him on the Clean Coders podcast, which is on Top End Devs. But uh, yeah, we're going to get on. He's going to show up to some of our meetings. And what I'm thinking is we'll probably have like five or six people uh, part of the conversation along with Bob and I at the same time. And we'll just, uh, so somebody can come on, they can ask their question, and then we'll just ro rotate people through. So we'll we'll mute one person, unmute another person when it's their turn to come on and, and be part of the discussion. So we'll do that for like an hour, hour and a half. And then the other part of it that I'm putting together is just kind of a meet and greet gather area on Gather Town. And so after the the meetup and the call, what we'll do is we'll all go over to Gather Town and you can just log in, walk up to a group and have a conversation. And that way we can all kind of get to know each other and and make friends and, and get to know people across the world. Uh, one thing that I'm finding is that, yeah, the meetups are starting to come back, but a lot of people don't have the opportunity to go to a meetup. And I really want to meet you guys and talk to you. So we're going to put all that together. It'll all be part of that book club. You can go to topendevs.com slash book club to be part of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you there. The first book club meeting will be in December, the beginning of December. We're starting the first week of December. And 
Um, you'll also be part of the conversation about which book we do next. I have one in mind, but I want to see where everybody's at. So there you go. That sounds what, really uh, cool. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, but would something like uh, if X smaller than five, then call function Y work? Because I'm not saying the parentheses and there is no then in C sharp. Would it kind of wiggle, wiggle its way into? No, because we're not I don't know doing. How that will be right. That that's the other question, but. Well, we're not doing state. We're not doing uh, uh, statements yet, and part of the reason we're not doing that is because it's built into CodeRush, and there's already loads of shortcuts in CodeRush for for very quickly getting everything. What's exciting to me about this feature is this gets this is like the last component in productivity that CodeRush CodeRush can't come up with names for you, you know, based on what your intent your 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 thought your 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 thoughts are in your head in terms of what your intent is. But if you speak them, now it can get those. So the naming was always kind of one of the hard things to do. But you can get in there, and if you want to do a, an expression like, you know, uh, you know, something like I said before, date time, UTC now minus time, dot total days is less than 5.3, you can say that. And you can get that inside the parens. Does that make sense? So if you have your if, if you use uh, either a Visual Studio snippet or a Code Rush template to get your if, or you just type that part by hand, you can get that inside piece. And in fact, that also brings me to another challenge was speech to numbers. There was nothing built in to do that. And so we had to essentially write that from scratch as well. And we have support for numbers up to about a quintillion the spoken numbers, which is probably more than bigger than most numbers people actually say out loud. Right, and you also I don't know what a real Google is. <laughs> yeah, there's no. We don't go that high in part because um, we have to. We're building this thing in the background, and I was like, you know what, quintillions. There's a there's kind of a reasonable limit, right? There's a part of the reason why I'm saying we're, we're we are releasing this for with support for essentially building expressions in code is that really complicated expressions are hard to hold in our heads anyway. We generally have to build those a bit at a time. The exception to this is fluent programming. Like if you are inside uh, a uh, like a uh, unit case, unit test case, and you've got uh, fluent assertions in there, you might be able to say something like uh, assert that my parameter dot to string dot length is less than five or whatever you want to do. And that is easy to hold in your head. And you can say that and, uh, and, and be able to generate and get, get that code. Do you do any expression evaluation just when I'm saying? For instance, if I were to say integer x, x I understand you put only the right side, right? But if I were to say integer x equals to 5 plus 7, would you put 12? No. Is this no. on your roadmap? Because I'm just looking for those fancy bugs when I say 0.1 plus 0.2 and you put something which is off my float errors. No, I don't. Yeah, you're going to have to look at all the code that's generated, Adam. You're going to have to do that. <laughs> yeah, look, we're, we're doing some pretty heavy lifting in the background here. You're going to, you know, we can't make everything perfect on the 1.0. 
Gotcha. So I have a question around performance then. Because yeah. like the longer sentence I say, I imagine the more backtracks, parents inserting and other stuff you need to do. How fast is it and how like how much load does it generate? Yeah, it's per- in, in my test, it's essentially instantaneous every time. It, it is. It's just like you, you do, you, you say it, you look, you know, it's like I said, it's about 200 milliseconds to, you know, maybe, maybe 300 milliseconds at the most. It's, and you just say it and then you look at the screen and, or look at the editor and there it is. It's, it's essentially what you've just said. Yeah. And how correct do I need to be? What if I say sort by instead of order by, what do I get? Uh, I don't know. Let me try. Let me see what's what's going to happen here. I'll switch over here. So I've got this demos. Yeah, live demo for yeah. It will describe what's happening for people listening on here. So I'm going to say list of points. You follow us on LinkedIn um, uh, or we're we're streaming YouTube, Facebook. Then you will actually be able to watch Mark doing his magic. All right. So here we go. We're going to say list of points. Sort by X. First or default. Yeah. So we get out to something different, right? We get we find apparently the sort method. Then I said the word by, it found byte, and we couldn't get any further than that. Okay? But do okay, it the right so way I... though. Well wait, let's let's try it slightly different though. Okay. List of points ordering X first or default. Oh, we got some of it right there. Let me try it again. I paused a little bit too much. List of points ordering by X first or default. There you go. Gotcha. So you so it gets you. So if I say ordering by, it'll find order by right there. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So it accepts some some like mistakes as long as it can kind of fuzzy match still the the, the proper subject. Let's call it. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's essentially correct. It's fine. It's trying to find the best path to what you said. Yeah. So there, in your example, it found that a point had a, an X property on it, so it did X at X. So could you would to clear that up? Would you say variable X ordered by variable X, or if you want to change this variable right here, the the yeah, lambda that, variable? I just wanted to be. If there was a variable name, well, there you've got a variable name called X, and it chose that rather than yeah, it gives you it, property, it for the yeah. for the lambda it defaults to this X whatever just because we've seen okay. that a lot, oh, so um, and I, and it this X is on point. So right. if I came in, if I wanted to find the you know create a new method get 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 the topmost point for example, we can come in here and change that to well let's do this. I'll hit rename and say get topmost point like that, and there's. That's how fast it is, right? Yeah, Adam's smiling, kids. Adam's got he's muted, but he's smiling. He's probably uh, yeah. what if there was an X variable in that scope? Oh, in this scope right here. So you want to do like a, an X like that? Yeah. Okay. And so I'm not sure what you do you still want the same line of code, I guess, is the question. Or are you well, what's, uh, my, what's it gonna pick if you say the same command there? I think it would be fine. That's I think that'll be a uh that's in scope and it'll that's got its own scope, I think, but maybe not. We'll see. It doesn't, I'll tell you, it doesn't come up with an intelligent alternative. It's a 1.0 release, Sean, but, yeah. <laughs> but it's you, Mark. Let's try it. List of points order by Y 
first order falls. We'll do that right there. So yeah, I think we're good. I think this it sees in a different scope. Oh nope, it doesn't. So we're not good. We have to. We have a. We have a problem. So we'd have to go rename or fix it. Is that true? If I rename that right there, it doesn't change it. No, I guess it does. It changes just this. So that's cool. Right. So the plan is for this to be a in an upcoming release of Code Rush. Yeah, it's uh, coming out on the fourth uh, of May, May the fourth. Um, mm, since, since, since I've got the demo up here, take a look at this right here. I'm inside a string right up here, and I'll say uh, this calculates the difference between name of time one and name of time two, like this. And it builds it all, the, all the pieces. If I'm inside, and, and I didn't talk about this, but check this out. If I'm inside an XML.comment and I do something similar and I say, um, uh, this is a really cool method and it calculates the difference between time one and time two, like that. And now it puts in param refs for the time one and the time two. So question around generalization of this mechanism like how many C-sharp constructs you basically had to code into this mechanism and how many of them you kind of get for free? Because like, did you have to do something special for this name of to get it working? Yes, actually I did. Name of is actually inside of uh, what we call this expression map here. So there's name of right there and it maps to... Uh, the name of, uh, and for folks who are just listening, uh, what's happening here is I've got words on the left that I say, and they map to uh, a uh, some code on the right. So, for example, I also have the word squared, and I have square root, and square root calls math.square root. So, as an example, I can come in, and uh, uh, as long as we've got the uh, the live demo up here, I can go in, um, get the distance between two points. So let's just build this from scratch. So I'll start, and I'll say, I'll start with my expression. So I've got nothing in the method, and I've got two parameters that go in, point one and point two. And the method's going to calculate the distance between the two. So I'm going to start, I'm going to hold down the control key, and I'm going to say point two x minus point one x. And, uh, and we get that. Right there, it looks like I got, I'm not sure why I got the, the zeros in there. It looks like it's just a demo bug there. Once I'm there, I'm going to come in and I'm going to get to here. I'm going to hit a shortcut in Code Rush. It's going to declare a, a, uh, uh, a variable for me. I'm going to hold down the control key and say delta x. And then uh, I'm going to duplicate this line that's Code Rush feature, change the x to a y, like that. Then I'm going to hit the return key, the, uh, the r key for returning things, and then I'm going to say square root of delta x squared plus delta y squared. And it calls math.square root, and it does delta x minus times delta x plus delta y times delta y. And that is brought to you by some of those settings that you saw in that, in that file there that allows you to say these words mean this thing. Because I didn't want, but you could also probably come along and say math square root. I think that might work too. I haven't tried that. Let's try it right now while we're here. 
math square root delta x squared plus delta y squared. Looks like it still works. Oh, I got an extra math in there. So looks like that's a bug. I got to go get after that. But we're not released yet, kids. We're almost there. The cool thing, the other cool thing about this, by the way, kids, is um, I built a command into CodeRush that if you bind it to a shortcut, you can hit that command and it will copy the data needed for us to create a test case based on what did not work for you. So if you get, for example, you found the, the issue that we just saw there with the extra math, math square root that just came in, um, all you have to do is uh, contact support. They'll say, here's the command, bind it to a key. You press the key right after it fails, and then you're going to get a whole bunch of data and that, uh, in a text file in, in, on the clipboard. And you just send that to us. And the data includes all the words you said, what times you actually said. And by the way, the algorithm uses the distance between the end of one word and the beginning of the next as a way to fine-tune your intent. Because we put small pauses as we speak between things that are like parameters, like a list of comma-separated values, right? We put in, we put in, and also between dot delimiters, right? And so there's, there's small little fine-tuning adjustments so that in, in the event we get multiple cases that work, we then break the tie using the, uh, the, the spacing between, between, the, uh, between the words. So if you're going out because you're going out to cognitive services, is it multilingual? Oh, that's a great question. So right now, this it's not really the experience is great if you are a native speaker in the same language that your variables are declared in and your types are declared in. And since most types are declared, since most code is in English. Uh, if you're not a native English speaker, then depending on how diff different your accent is or how difficult your accent is, the, you may not have as great of an experience as if you were a native speaker or if your variables were in the same language that you are a native speaker in. Does that make sense? So that you can definitely switch the language up and use another language. Um, but uh, but, but it, you need to, you know, since we're going to be speaking English, for a lot of the code you're, that you have here, it really is going to work better for you if you don't have a strong accent uh, and you're, you're saying the English words in a way that Azure Cognitive Services can detect them accurately. Or maybe yeah. use translation services to translate into English and then feed it in. Yeah, I don't know. That's, not, that's outside the scope, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you're not sitting next to me, Sean, while I'm developing. Well, I did one day, you know couple days maybe uh but yeah the, the first time i saw this the first thing i thought of was how much this will help with accessibility for those with disabilities yeah i've got a few folks who are in that space that watch the show that watch the development of this with interest um it's actually great one of the guys that's watching has only ability to use one hand uh and and another guy can't use really either of his hands very well and so um so the, these folks are watching and you know, so we're we're making sure that you can use this with only one hand. Um, but you know, there's another there's another benefit to this that that is that I love, and the benefit is is that some things that used to weigh heavily uh, from a perspective of cognitive load, 
like typing in a long detailed comment of what your to do is, right? Or, you know, typing anything in and seeing you've made a mistake and going back and correcting it. It takes your mind away from the code, right? It, and it weighs down. And you do this enough, there's a limit to how much you can do of this kind of drudgery, this kind of correcting mistakes. There's a limit to how much you can do during the day. And one of the things I love about this feature is that I'm able to do things that normally take a lot of time to do, especially even like naming things, getting good names, right, for, for, for variables and things like that, right? Things that, that would take a long time to type in, and then I'd be like, okay, where was I? Get back on track again. I named the variable. Those are all gone now. Now I just want to, I, I need to get a string. I need to get a comment. I need to get a, a good variable name in. I hold the control key down. I say it. And I am, I, I am so undamaged by the experience. I feel refreshed, you know, and that is that is a great benefit because by being able to stay at a lighter cognitive load level while you work all day long, it allows you, I think, to explore and, and embrace more complexity in what you do, right? In the code itself, in the structure, in the architecture. So. How much work would you need to do in order to support different programming languages? Let's say VB.NET just to begin with, but let's go crazy and support Cobol.NET because why not? Yeah, uh, I think uh, I, how much work? Um, there's not a lot in terms of the internal engine that needs to change. Um, right now, we've focused only on C Sharp because that's the majority of what we're doing. Uh, in this release, um, uh, and you know, we're kind of flat out saying this is the 1.0 is that. But demand, customer demand, will influence where we go. So we still, Coder still supports has strong support for for Visual Basic, uh, and if we get a lot of requests for it to go in that direction, then um, we'll likely do it, and it won't that won't be hard. Um, going to a language that IntelliSense does not support is probably going to be a no for us. Because there's so much value that you get from IntelliSense. We just could not get the feature to where it needed to be without IntelliSense, without being able to say to asking Visual Studio, hey, what, here's some speculative code. What do you think? What do you call that? What would it be that evaluate that type for me, that expression? Tell me what it is. Okay, that makes sense. So basically, in those languages, you would need to re implement IntelliSense first, and that would yeah, be a feature on its own. Yeah, that would be probably a, a, a deal breaker for us, right? But if IntelliSense was already available, we could do that. We definitely own this space. Yeah, I, I like this space a lot that I'm at because I'm still writing a lot of code, right? I'm still writing a lot of code. I'm not telling AI to go do the whole thing for me, right? I'm not going out and copying whole blocks of code. And even if I do, I'm still making changes, you know, to that sort of thing, right? So this, and, and I love how fast this is compared to OpenAI. You know, for me, OpenAI, if I make a call to OpenAI and I'm like watching it type it in or I'm waiting for it to be done and seeing the result, it's taken a long time and it kind of takes me out of my flow. And I really like how this is kind of keeps me in the flow. Is this going to require the user to have an account with ChatGPT or any other services? Yeah, it's... uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, great question. Uh, Yeah, you... uh, This requires two... Uh, well, voice commands require OpenAI if you want to allow for inferred intent. So if you don't care about inferred intent and you're okay just, you know, uh, saying it exactly, 
every time, then uh, you won't need OpenAI. Um, uh, you're, you are definitely going to need Azure uh, uh, Cognitive Services uh, API key. And these are things you'll, you, in order to opt into the feature, you have to supply those keys yourself. And just uh, as an FYI, you know, in terms of cost, uh, uh, my speech bill is like pennies a day, and I'm using it all day long to code. So it's, it's like for, for the, the month, it's about $2 or something like that in charges. It's what I'm getting. So it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's, it's not really even a consideration from the standpoint of, uh, you know, cost from my perspective. And is the plan to integrate this with something like Copilot? So you could say, generate a method that does blah, 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 blah with these I'm, parameters? I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, it's on my list to look at that possible integration. I was originally, you know, and I think I've been talked about it on the show, I was originally building an agent to essentially be like Copilot, but it would be a essentially free agent, kind of in quotes, I'm putting that in air quotes, because you would still require a key. So you'd still have to pay somebody for your open AI, right? Um, and I was building that, and, uh, and I kind of liked the direction. There were some intelligent things that we were doing in that path. Uh, but now I'm thinking, what if instead I just said no, and we instead just made Copilot easier to use, right? Because our holding the control key down to talk um, is uh, really good. It is really good. It's way better than saying, hey, Copilot, you know, let me do this, right? If you have to preface everything, that also means it's listening live all the time. It's always evaluating what you're saying, and it probably means it's evaluating locally, which is not as good as Azure Cognitive Services, right? Maybe it's listening locally just for, hey, Copilot, and then it sends the rest of the sentence out to, to Azure, and then it boosts our accuracy. That's probably how they do it. That's probably how I would do it. Yeah, or but, hey, Mark. Yeah, yeah. But I don't want to. I don't want to say. I don't want to say anything extra, right? You can see. I've. I've even. Even if I want to pass in parameters, I don't know. I, there's a word I can say, which is with. So I can say, you know, calculate the distance between two points with point one and point two. I could say that, or I could just say calculate the distance between two points point one point two. And it figures out that, wait, I need two parameters. Let's go take those and put them in, the things I found, and stick them in there. So I don't want to say anything extra. So I sure as heck don't want to say, hey, Copilot, or hey, Siri, or hey, Google, or hey, anybody. I just want to push a button when I want to talk and release the button when I'm done. Is this Windows only? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Windows only, Visual Studio. So it's Code Rush for Visual Studio. But Code Rush is free, kids. So, you know... Nobody's making any money on this show. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. All right. So our listeners do check this out. Look look for it on uh, Star Wars Day. Yeah, Star Wars Day from Dev Express. We'll put a link out there somewhere. Code right. Rush. Cool. Uh, with that said, let's move on to picks. Awesome. Have you ever wished that you had a group of people that were just as passionate about writing code as you are? I know I did. I did that for most of my career. I'd go to the meetups. I'd try and create other opportunities. And it was just really hard, right? The meetups, I got some of that, but they were only like once or twice a month. And it was just really hard to find that group of people that I connected with and, and really wanted to, you know, talk about code a lot, right? I mean, I love writing code. I think it's the best. And so I've decided to create this community and create it 
uh, a worldwide community that we can all jump in and do it. So we're going to have two workshops every week. One of those or two of those every month are going to be Q&A calls, right, where you can get on, you can ask me or me and another expert questions. Uh, the rest of them are going to be focused on different aspects of career or programming or things like that, right? So it'll go anywhere from like deployments and containers all the way up to managing your 401k and negotiating your benefits package. We'll, we'll cover all of it, okay? And then we're also going to have meetups every month for your particular technology area. So we have shows about JavaScript, React, Angular, Vue, and so on. We're going to have meetups for all of those things. I'm going to revive the freelancer show. We'll have one about that, right? So you can get started freelancing or continue freelancing if that's where you're at. And I'm working on finding authors who can actually do weekly video tutorials on something for 10 minutes that's related, to, again, to those technology areas so that you can stay current and keep growing. So if you're interested, go to topendevs.com slash sign up and you can get in right now for $39. When we're done, that price is going to go up to $75. And the $39 price gets you access to two calls per week. The The full price at $150, which is going to be $75 over the next few weeks, that price is going to get you access to all of the calls and all of the tutorials and everything else that we put out from Top End Devs along with member pricing for our remote conferences that are coming up next year. So go check it out, topendevs.com slash sign up. Uh, Christian, why don't you go first in case you uh, lose your connection? Uh, yes, uh, so since I have a, a low-key connection, I wanted to have a low-key pick. I, did, I had this pick a couple of months ago, so you all know what's coming, right? But I, I have to do it again in a revamped edition. So early February, the beta version of jQuery 4 was released. Um, I only noticed because I mentioned in release notes, uh, one of my contributions from 2020 made it in that version. And they, they modernized uh, the library, so they dropped support for IE 9 and 10, I believe. No, but seriously, still, if you look at the project, the number of open issues, uh, which is, I think, 70, and then look at the number of open issues in any other significant framework, which is four digits, still great library for many, many use cases. And especially since many single-page application frameworks these days reinvented something great, server-side rendering, you know, the 1989 approach to web developments. Uh, I still appreciate uh, that you have uh, a very approachable, intuitive uh, API as an alternative for select projects. So jQuery's uh, uh, version 4 beta is my pick for this app. So uh, over to uh, Adam, please. So my pick for this week is going to be around something some of us do every day. So we probably all know Remote Desktop, Microsoft Terminal Services Client, mstsc.exe. Now the question is, how do you do that mstsc.exe from your VR goggles? And the answer to that is called vSpatial. So I recommend this application. You get yourself a decent VR goggles. I'm not going to do any product branding, but I can say the version of those goggles is free. And uh, you install vSpatial and get a Bluetooth keyboard. And the best of that is you don't need to have PC VR, not at all. This thing is just like RDP server with RDP client. It works in the browser as well. But generally, you can also install it on your VR goggles and you put on your goggles and you have 
four, five, six, how many screens you need in front of you, all around you. You just take your Bluetooth keyboard with you and you ditch the laptop. Works. Now get your eyes ready for that because that's going to be the next level of the, of the living and working. Looking forward to our next podcast recording when I just look left and right and see all of you uh, <laughs> in 4K. Actually, awesome. I think Big because thing. this Vspatial is not only about RDP. This is generally like a yeah. whole product, whole platform that also supports like video conferencing and other stuff. And I think one of the features they have, I didn't test it, but one of the features they have is like, you see your um, the, the people you're speaking with over the video conference, like in a room. So it's already there. It's just everyone would need to be using Vspatial for that instead of Zoom or Microsoft Teams. All right, Mark, what's your pick? Uh, my pick is uh, Poor Things, the movie. Uh, I, uh, I recently saw it. It's uh, up for an Academy Award. Uh, I've seen uh, at least half of the films that are nominated That's my pick so far. Uh, it's not a movie for kids. It's definitely for adults. But uh, I, I was, I was uh, generally really impressed with uh, the look. The, the, it's got some great performances in it as well. Uh, and the script was great. Really super original idea. I loved it. Um, that's, that's my pick. Okay. So my pick this week is another Netflix show that I really enjoyed watching, and it's uh, Gran Turismo. So, you know, it's based on a real-life story where they took the best players of the game and put them in real race cars, put them through, uh, you know, training and all that stuff, and found who is the best real-life uh, you know, player that was in the game, and he is actually still racing today. So he became a, a professional race car driver did well and uh yeah i found the, the the movie really interesting so check out gran turismo that's gonna happen alert that's gonna happen to me one day they're gonna they're gonna see me coding so fast they're gonna say get him behind a race car right now <laughs> all right thanks everybody you have voice thanks, control Mark. in the race car oh sorry for that <laughs> turn left i said turn left <laughs> All right. If our listeners want to, get, want to get in touch with us, they can reach out to me. I am on all the platforms. I am at .NET Superhero. So let us know what you want to have on the show. We'll try to do it. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch Thanks, you on Sean. the next episode of Adventures in .NET.